you know, learning how to simplify forms is as big a challenge as learning how to render it things really, like super realistically. It really is. I'll plan out like an entire game design in like some massive <laughs> grand vision of a flowchart, and then I'm like, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> My <laughs> I'm work here is done. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Industry Standards Podcast. I want to tell you a little bit about our podcast before we get to introducing our wonderful guest of today. The Industry Standards Podcast is an effort to bring to you some of the best and brightest minds in the games, VFX, films, animation, 3D printing industries, you name it. If it touches 3D, even remotely, we're talking about it. Um, We want to, you know share experiences, knowledge, advice, best practices, the latest trends, news, and things like that with the whole industry, because we know that sometimes this kind of information can be difficult to achieve or attain. Before we get started, let's shout out the sponsor of today, Wrangling College of Art and Design. You'll be hearing more from them at some point in this episode. It's also where I work. I like to talk about them sometimes. I'm your host for today, Anna Carolina Pereira. I am a 3D technical artist, game and VR developer, and character artist on the side. I teach, like I mentioned, at the Ringling College of Art and Design in two majors, game art and VR. And I obviously do a lot of stuff online. If you don't know me, go follow me and, you know, we're going to talk about our guests, links and stuff. I forgot to mention to you that we can also like promote your links and stuff. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, <laughs> we'll do that. So today with me, I have Nick Carver. Nick is a 2D concept artist and game developer who does literally a little bit of everything. It's kind of astounding. We're going to show you guys some of his work in a second. You will like literally be shocked. Uh, Nick has almost 20 years in the industry, in the games industry, uh, and has worked at amazing... I'm going to have to read. There's so much stuff in here. So... (laughs) He's worked at Riot, Blizzard, Epic, Heart Machine, That Game Company, Bungie, and Phoenix Labs, and has made concept art for titles such as Arcane and Overwatch. Um, so Nick works primarily as a concept artist, right? Yep, yep, that's right. But what really makes him stand out even more, I mean, his concept art is amazing, by the way, like don't take it as reductive or anything, but... <laughs> But he makes his own interactive video games and demos, vertical slices, complete demos, the works by himself. He does amazing visual development, like stuff like you've never seen before, games that look like watercolor or pixelated games and things like that Um, with everything, right? Like the animation you do, the coding, the post-processing, the modeling, the level design, the layout, the design itself, (laughs) so much stuff. So, Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so excited oh, to talk no, to you. No, I'm, I'm super happy to be here. And, uh, yeah, thanks so much for that intro. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting and hopefully providing some info for, for people <laughs> out there who want to get into the industry or, you know, move up in the industry. Absolutely. I mean, there's plenty of plenty of us all looking for amazing advice from folks like you. So, um, I'm going to showcase some of Nick's work on the screen. If you're listening in from uh, Spotify or Apple Music, I'm really sorry. <laughs> you better get on YouTube now. Uh, we're going to show a little bit of his work while he kind of tells us a little bit about himself and how you got your how you got your start in the industry, what inspired you to come into the industry and your journey so far. Sure, yeah. So I 
started out, uh, you know, like everybody else as a kid, was very much into video games and animation and movies and all that stuff, but uh, kind of gave up on art in my teens at some point and uh, just didn't think that that was necessarily a career that I could pursue. Uh, we're talking, you know, early days of the internet, very little information on the games industry, how to how to make art for games or anything like that. So I, I actually pursued uh, studies in languages mainly. I went to university to study Japanese language and culture, and I did that for um, four years and graduated. But then in my final year, just kind of decided that I really wanted to do something creative as a job. You know, I didn't want to be necessarily a, a translator or an interpreter, which is kind of where I was headed. I finished my degree and I moved back in with my parents for a year. They were obviously very uh, excited that I was kind of ditching <laughs> this degree that they'd uh, helped me, you know, <laughs> helped me, you know, supported me financially to actually complete. Uh, but yeah, I moved back in and I, I, I worked uh, sort of, minimum wage jobs for a while and basically yeah taught myself rudimentary 2d and 3d game art stuff you know photoshop and 3ds max made a portfolio and was really fortunate that the city i moved to like a year later with with my wife a girlfriend at the time there were a few studios there and i happened to get like a very entry-level like junior character artist position um junior texture artist junior character artist position which studio and was that one? Free Radical, Free Radical Design. They made um, Time Splitters and uh, some other games that were less uh, less popular and successful. But yeah, that was that was kind of my my break into the industry and and just kind of you know managing to get in with a very kind of rough portfolio. I just realised immediately, oh wow, looking at other people's work and, and the fact that they actually had sort of um, backgrounds in. Um, you know, art, they'd had art, art education and things like that, <laughs> that I really need to level up quick. So I, I basically spent the next sort of five years doing a lot of self-study, learning all the fundamentals that I should have learned before I got a job working in the industry. And yeah, and that, that was, that was up till sort of 2009. Uh, and then, yeah, got the opportunity to move and work at Blizzard in California and uh, was there for sort of seven years working on uh, Titan, the MMO that wasn't, <laughs> and then um, an R&D project that I was, there was a very small team that never got talked about that was also shelved. But thankfully, I um, moved back on to what became the Overwatch team and yeah, worked on that project as a concept artist. And then like about seven years ago, uh, my wife and I decided to relocate back to the UK. And I've yeah basically been freelancing and contracting for one company or another since then yeah. oh wow yeah yeah so what made you think as a teenager that you couldn't do art was it like the stereotype you know starving artist or something like that no it wasn't no it wasn't to do with whether it was financially viable it was more to do with the fact that I didn't think that I had the ability to do it um I was really good well I was like relatively good as a younger kid like in my early teens or even before that I was quite good at drawing like cartoony little comic strips and I could copy comic book panels pretty well but for some reason I couldn't make the connection between or the the, the step between that and like say life drawing or you know kind of yeah ob observational drawing like I had the cartoon thing down but then when I tried to say draw a bowl of fruit or whatever the cliche thing that you do in art class was <laughs> I just couldn't get near it you know I just I just ended up feeling like I was 
you know, I think at the time I had I had a problem with struggling with anything. Like certain <laughs> things came easier to me than others. Like learning languages was something that was relatively straightforward, and and I didn't, like foolishly thought that if I'm really struggling at something, it just means that I'm not meant to do it or I'm not meant to get better uh, at it. And it yeah. really wasn't. It really wasn't until I. Well, there was two things actually. One was I got really got into skateboarding in my teenage years, and that is a thing where you like fail constantly for weeks and months and years, you know. And it's a very gradual process to get better and be less, you know, terrible at it. And then when I went to university, uh, going from learning like European languages like French and German, you know, Japanese was obviously like very different uh, in terms of how it's structured and you know just like the basic, you know alphabet well that you know kanji versus a kind of european uh, roman alphabet and so i had to study like really hard it was the first time i think where i was like terrified of failure and so mm-hmm. i just kind of really applied myself in a way that i probably hadn't previously and then yeah after i graduated i just kind of realized that i could apply a similar you know methodology of like learning and breaking things down into component parts as i had done with japanese in order to learn that I could kind of apply that to um, learning art. And that's kind of how I started to try and, you know, structure my own learning uh, because obviously, you know, I didn't have a sort of formal background in it. I, I, I developed a way of learning that suited my own pace, my own sort of, you know, the ways that I learned best, basically. And I've kind of carried that on ever since in one way or another, you know. That. That makes a lot of sense. And I imagine maybe that's the secret behind how you're able to do so many different skill sets. Would you say that? Uh, I mean, possibly, yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely, I think it's a combination of, yeah, I mean, I definitely, you know, I didn't, uh, it makes it sound like as soon as I started putting my mind to it that I like immediately made a lot of progress. Like I really didn't, like it was very frustrating the first sort of few years of, of trying to get better. And I think oftentimes it was a case of trying to do too much too soon and, um, you know, kind of having a picture of something in my mind of how I wanted it to be. But then when I actually went onto the computer or, I, you know, sat down with a, a pen and paper, I couldn't get anywhere near it. Um, and it was just this very gradual process of realization that if I'm struggling at something, it probably means either I don't understand what it is that I'm attempting to do or I haven't broken it down into small enough constituent parts that I can, you know, sort of succeed at a sort of lower level and then gradually build up and up and up. And I guess there is a lot of overlap with whatever skill you're trying to learn is like not trying to do too much too soon. You know, you kind of either get discouraged or at least I do in my case, I get discouraged or you don't actually retain any knowledge because you're kind of, you know, trying to do too much at once or you're kind of spreading yourself too thinly. So I definitely try and be sort of process oriented and very sort of, I don't know, methodical is the wrong word because I jump all over the place, but I definitely try and break everything down into, you know, component pieces that are understandable, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, my students make the mistake the mistake of not doing that a lot and I teach mm-hmm. them agile development. I don't know if you ever used that before. But basically, something I've heard of, but yeah, I've not used it. uh, We break the tasks down into stories and they have to have like the description and they should be small, like, you know, but students will be like, um, make model test. That's task number one. (laughs) Task number two is uh, 
let's apologize, you know, and things like that. So uh, I try to break it down a lot more because then you can focus, you can do little moments of like R&D, you know, yeah. in between. Um, there's nothing wrong with trying to figure out new new ways to do things or like, you know, learning how other people do things. Mm-hmm. So many people feel that that's cheating <laughs> as well. <laughs> Which I think is funny. If it wasn't for Google, I wouldn't be where I am now. And I would imagine a lot of other pros too. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I owe the internet kind of everything, everything that I've learned, I think, pretty much. I mean, I've learned lessons from, you know, people from working in studios, you know, just either directly asking questions of them or just watching other people work. You know, like, you obviously, you pick things up. But yeah, I mean, so much of of the progress that I've made has, has been entirely because of the internet, you know? So, and, and yeah, just like watching other people work or watching tutorials or whatever. Or, I mean, I, I think that I like to do a lot, particularly when it comes to game development stuff is, you know, if there's a project or an asset that is doing the thing that I want to do or is close to it, I'll just get hold of that thing and then kind of take it apart and start to play with different pieces within whatever that thing is. And, that's kind of how I learn is that more sort of visual, like autodidact kind of way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Like um, I don't have like a programmer brain. I'm definitely much more of a, like a visual thinker, like a, maybe maybe a language thinker, but yeah, certainly not like a coder. Um, so yeah, just being able to see things visually on screen and be able to see what's happening in real time. Like I change something, you know, and, and immediately I see the result of it. Um, that That's that kind of, helps me to understand what's happening kind of like a reverse engineering approach yeah yeah definitely definitely so you started off drawing cartoons you went into a little bit of uh you know 3d modeling so -hmm. how did you end up here doing a little bit of everything um well i mean i started out as a yeah as as a character artist and then um after i moved to blizzard I was I was on Titan, and it was a great project. And yeah, the the, the um, concept art being generated for the project was amazing. You know, Arnold Sang, who who became the the main character concept artist for Overwatch, and uh, a, a assistant art director on that project, he was doing a lot of the you know the designs that we were building within the character team, and it was awesome. But I I just started to feel like oh man, I'd really like to be doing you know, some, some actual design. And I'd been working on my 2D stuff, you know, off my own back for the previous sort of five or six years. So I sort of gradually tried to get opportunities, you know, on the team. And it was still small enough at that point where I could ask if I could do a bit of like prop design or, you know, sort of maybe some architecture or things like, like mm-hmm. kind of lower level, you know, concept art. And just, yeah, little by little, I started to do more and more of that to the point where it just made sense for me to move over to the environment team. And so I ended up doing a mix of like in-game assets and, you know, concept sheets for like props, vehicles, you know, architecture, stuff like that. After Titan got, you know, uh, paused or put on the shelf or whatever the whatever the, the term is, like, uh, yeah, like I say, I went on to this R&D team and it literally was four of us. You know, there was um, a designer, a programmer, or you know, two programmers, and myself. And so I was the art team on that project, basically, for, for at least a year and a half. So I kind of got to do everything at that point. Well, I had to do everything at that point. So I was doing 
I was doing, you know, all of the actual sort of character art, environment art, uh, bits of level design, um, bits of animation. I'm not an animator. Um, I definitely lean heavily on pre-existing, uh, you know, assets or, uh, you know, uh, animation resources like Mixamo and stuff like that. So that there's definitely a gap in my skill set but yeah i was kind of i was learning how to do animation on that project as well so um yeah and and then after that project got shelved and i was back working full-time as a concept artist again i just had you know just such a a desire to continue like doing more of that style of game development which was very you know much like kind of small and scrappy development team and that's when i got into unity uh, I had a friend of mine kind of, he, he, he just sat me down one, one Saturday afternoon. I remember it well and, and said, you know, I'll show you how to put together. Um, and he was an artist as well. Like he wasn't a programmer. Jason Morris is, is his name. Um, and he had started using this visual scripting tool within Unity called Playmaker. And he said, yeah, just come over one Saturday and, and I'll, I'll show you how to put together like a rough first person shooter in a couple of hours. <laughs> and that seemed like, you know, not possible to me, but like, you know, sure enough, like I went over and he just like hooked up a few nodes and got things running. And it was like, it made sense to me in a way that programming never would, you know, just like that visual thing. And, and like visual scripting in this style is not the most efficient way to, to program at all. But in terms of the stuff that I like to do, which is oftentimes prototypes or, you know, kind of relatively simple mechanics things like that like i think it's totally feasible to to make games that way um, but anyway he showed me how to do it and i was like oh wow like this is something that i can understand and kind of after that it's, it's just been a a journey really of just uh yeah learning how to just learning what different buttons within unity do and just like <laughs> dragging different like because of the way this uh and there, there are multiple different visual scripting solutions including bolt which is Unity's own thing. Like you can basically grab a component from any object into the window and like expose all the variables that are there and like just play around with anything you want. And I think that's it. Like, you know, visual thinkers, which most artists are, like you give them a way to actually create interactive content. Like once you can get over that initial hump and, and you realize you can kind of create anything you want and it can be, you know, interactive to whatever degree you want it to be. I think that's like a really powerful tool and it was sort of a, you know, a bit of a, yeah, just a bit of an, a moment of epiphany for me, really. I've just been kind of following that path ever since. That's so nice. Like one of my specialties is also visual scripting, specifically mm. blueprinting in Unreal. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I teach it all the time. And I've always appreciated blueprinting, but but these past two weeks I've been teaching Python. Mm-hmm. And it really gives me a next level appreciation <laughs> for not having to worry about syntax. I'll be doing a demo and I'll be like, and now let's see if it works. And it's like, nope, because you forgot like one like colon in line 23. Yep. <laughs> Get yeah. wrecked. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, like, that's, oh. that's the exact, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> how I am as well. I'm like, and occasionally I will have to go in and like mess with a script to to get it to do what I want it to do, like just kind of hack something that's already been written. It's that exact thing. It's like, why why isn't this working? Like this, like, 
<laughs> and then yeah, it is just like, oh, you put a space there, or like, yeah, you put, you put, you forgot a bracket here. I was like, oh, come it on, sucks. please. Let me, me off anyway. that bracket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do get to feel like a super cool person while I'm doing it. Like I'm about to like hack the mainframe or something. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, yet to, I've yet to see, I've yet to see the movie sequence where somebody is like dragging nodes to like. Oh yeah. Hack, hack the <laughs> it zooms <laughs> out. It's like spaghetti, you know. <laughs> I, I have a student who only turns in spaghetti code. And every time like right. I, I'll be shocked. And, and he was like, well, when I was younger, well, as in like a few years ago, um <laughs> he goes i used to think it looked so cool and so like advanced when he did it like this and i'm like oh no yeah <laughs> yeah less um, is more for sure with those definitely. with those things yeah um so your work is really stylized and actually like super super neat and super cool for example we have one on Thank the you. screen right now that's uh basically like watercolor like mm -hmm. effects um you mentioned something that ties in with something I've been wondering about and I've been dying mm. to ask and like literally any stylized artist ever, like there's a little bit of um, gatekeeping in our industry, I think. And you can tell mm. me if you've found this before where like a lot of people consider stylized art to be not, not the top of the line. You know, people are like, you know, that's why you mentioned like you, you weren't doing figure drawing and like realistic stuff. So you didn't feel mm -hmm. like you could do it. But cartoons, you were good at that. And somehow you didn't feel like that was of the same value, I guess, at the time. Um, yeah, have you encountered right, yeah. that kind of like thinking? I'm sure it exists. Um, I've like, with the exception of a couple of the years when I was a free radical and like, you know, everyone was making the, the shift to next gen and everyone was suddenly doing like, super realistic characters so I, I did sculpt my fair share of like you know cargo pants and like, like bulletproof vests and like all the, yeah exactly I did that and I was like I don't want to do this anymore um but outside of that I've not done I've not really worked on any realistic games so I I you know from my perspective like everywhere I've worked since then it's all been about stylized aesthetics you know to one degree or another you know, Blizzard has, you know, obviously World of Warcraft and, and Diablo and StarCraft and Overwatch. And, like, they're all different varying degrees of stylized. Um, and then the stuff that I've done as a, as a freelancer, like, it's varied from, you know, stuff like Arcane that's on the more detailed painterly end of stuff to, like, really quite simple, like, you know, abstracted, um, you know, definitely... Yeah, sort of more simplified aesthetics, and I've never, I've never really encountered any um, any sense that it's like lesser or anything like that. Like, That's I think good. a lot. Well, at least in terms of the people that I've worked with, I think everyone realizes that I think, like, regardless of the art style, in order to do it successfully, you've got to, you've got to, you know, make a lot of decisions, a lot of smart decisions, and you've got to, you know, learning how to simplify forms. It's as big a challenge as like learning how to render it things really, like super realistically. Really is. <laughs> yeah, and it, I guess it just comes down to aesthetic taste. Like, um, you know, I can appreciate super realistic stuff done well, but I definitely gravitate more towards you know more stylized ends of the spectrum. Mm. I think I've been I've been gravitating towards stylized too. Maybe it's the 
um, world of Twitter and or academia that gave me this idea. Uh, I'll be honest, though, Stylize has a lot of benefits. For one, it ages a lot better, right? Yeah. Right? Have you ever seen a hyper-realistic game age well? Like, not yet. We're not, yeah. we're not even <laughs> there yet. True. It's true. <laughs> it's true. I think I think there are some that, like, maybe it's just my own perspective, but I think there are a handful that look okay, but they didn't necessarily go, like, full bells and whistles. Like, I feel like Half-Life 2 still looks pretty good, even though it's, like, a 20 or 19-year-old <laughs> game. But, like, it's definitely the exception yeah most of them you look right now and it's like even the ones that were like this is the best the game has ever looked and yeah maybe a game will ever look <laughs> and you I look at it now that. and it's like ooh, yeah hey folks if you're enjoying this podcast episode so far make sure to drop us a like follow and maybe even a review share this podcast with your friends and people that might be wanting to come into the industry or already in that might be interested in this content this will help us grow and it will greatly support the podcast so that we can keep bringing you this content and even more guests thank you so much and another thing about stylized that i've dealt with you know since i deal with so many students and newcomers in the industry is um people think it's easier and that is like the the most that is a mistake right (laughs) i've had i've had students pitch entire stylized projects and they'll put something like um like something that's slightly hand painted on there on their like mood boards or like slime mm-hmm. ranchers or something like that and i'm like why and they're like oh because realism's too hard and i'm like have you ever tried stylized <laughs> like this have you do you do you even know what a gradient is <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah and then they're like oh you can see like all the hope and joy come out of their face <laughs> and they realize that they're in trouble regardless <laughs> you know yeah. I think that's it. Like any style, like I said, like you have to make so many decisions, you know. Okay, maybe if you made like literally like, you know, stick men walking on like triangle grass, then you might not have to make too many decisions. But, you know, 99% of aesthetics out there, they have been like thoroughly, if if they're successful, they have been like thoroughly and completely designed from, you know, from like, the the most important thing on screen to the smallest detail so like making everything sit cohesively and feel like it's part of the same world is is a real challenge um and also learning learning how to you know do that between different styles like each each style presents its own challenge Mm -hmm. and even though like i kind of feel like the more you do the more you can kind of see the connections between different aesthetics like you still you're still making a conscious and continuous uh, effort and, you know, you're kind of in a dialogue with yourself and with whoever else is working on the project to like make sure you don't like stray from whatever that aesthetic goal is. Um, so yeah. It's, it's I don't really make, I don't tricky to maintain cohesion within the same project. Yeah. You know, multiple artists working on the same, on the oh, different yeah. assets. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have this friend, Emma Koch. Have you ever? Mm, yeah, yeah. Her work's um, great. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, I've seen, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Her work sometimes looks like a 2D drawing and then it rotates mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, so one time I asked her for help for, with some stylization and she's thinking on a level that I didn't even consider. She's like measuring mm. the colors of the shadows and like like the, mm. the roundness, the, like whether the highlight is white or not. If there's an outline, what colors are the outlines and comes like the angles 
are all the highlights the same colors based on ankles and stuff like that? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a <laughs> lot of stuff that you have to do that like photorealism just kind of comes out of the bat. Just like you, you just kind of use the PBR, you know, you roll with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I definitely think that, you know, anytime that you stylize something, even if you're doing, say you're doing like anatomy studies, and I did end up doing some amount of anatomy studies, like <laughs> even though I didn't start out that way, but I found the easiest way, the best way for me to learn, whether it was anatomy or drapery or whatever it was, was to stylize the studies that I was doing, like make, make deliberate choices to change what I'm looking at, you know, in terms of the photo reference or whatever it was like, cause then you're in, you're in a dialogue with yourself about like, what is this shape in front of me? Or like, what is the color of this particular element? And like, do I want to represent it in a literal way or do I want to change it? And like, and it's exactly right with what you say in terms of, um, you know, using PBR, obviously you out of the box, get a sort of, you know, fully rendered, you know, believable, uh, full value range lighting, uh, system, you know, but, yeah, you didn't necessarily make any decisions about why you wanted, you know, the light to be this color or why you wanted to restrict the value range or why you wanted to only use like these colors in this part of the image or the scene or whatever. So I definitely think there's a lot to be said for, you know, being deliberate about those things and, and having to be deliberate about those things. So um, appeal is a huge part of stylization. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk a lot about it in character design, but honestly, I think it applies to everything. Sure. Right? There's yeah, two things yeah. in an appealing environment. I'm looking at one right now. Here we have, for the, my podcast listeners, uh, some beautiful <laughs> rocks with a, a character that stands out due to more saturated colors. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, everything else has soft shadows. There's not a pure black anywhere on this composition. What would you say um, are some of the keys to create an appealing, like visual look for your pieces? I, I, you know, it's, I think it like fundamentally, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard to answer succinctly. (laughs) You've read a book about this probably. (laughs) (laughs) So I think, you know, it's a, it's a number of things, you know, I think um, obviously subject matter plays a big role in it i mean this isn't like the most interesting of subject matters as we said like this was really a, a this particular image was just a test to see if i could because basically all these rocks are photogrammetry assets i wanted to see if i could use photogrammetry but turn it into something that felt like stylized and painterly and then it was kind of after after that i started to try and like put like a narrative into it into this scene and kind of just built it out from that wall, basically. Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, subject matter is, is huge. Um, and even if it's not something that's necessarily very specific or overt or high concept, you know, like something like this, or like a forest scene where you've got nice dappled shadows and you've got, you know, green grass and uh, lots of foliage and, uh, you know, some, some warms and some cools and, you know, hopefully a nice balance between the two. Like that stuff, like, you know, a, a, a nice kind of idyllic pastoral scene like that is something that people respond to on an emotional level. But I think as well, you know, color is such an emotional motivator. Um, so if you can 
use color well. And I wouldn't consider myself like somebody who's like amazing with color. I think I can be effective with it. But like having taken classes with some like really phenomenal concept artists from the animation industry, you know, people like Nathan Fawkes, for, in- for instance, you know, I took one of his courses uh, when I was in California and, you know, it's just so like color used well and oftentimes used as simply as possible is just so impactful, you know, in terms of carrying an emotional beat. Um, so I think if you, if you can have, you know, uh, uh, a subject matter that people respond to a composition that draws the viewer or the player into, you know, wherever you want them to look, and then, you know, you kind of use a color scheme or a lighting scheme that uh, supports the emotion that you want to convey. Then, like, I feel like, like, those three things are sort of, uh, you know, the sort of uh, holy trinity when it comes to, you know, conveying something, conveying a, a message visually. Ringley Pre-College is seeking visionary VR students with a story and drive to succeed. Do you see yourself creating a three-dimensional, computer-generated virtual reality environment where users can be immersed within your imagined or simulated worlds? Is it games, training, or emotional sport? What inspires you to do this work? If this describes you, we want to hear your story. What excites you about these possibilities? Submit your 500-word story in writing or video by March 3rd to mmurphy at c.ringling.edu. Three selected entries will be awarded $1,000 each towards pre-college 2023 tuition. One selected entry will be awarded a full scholarship to pre-college 2023. In accepting the award, you fully agree to enroll in the virtual reality immersion. Visit www.fringling.edu slash pre-college and click on connect with us to book an online info session. And make sure to submit your written or video story as described above. Back to our programming. That is awesome. And I love it. And <laughs> I'm inspired like by looking at your portfolio I'm, I literally want to make more things and have a little bit more fun with arts. Like that's the vibe I'm getting. So mm-hmm. I could be projecting, but <laughs> what I like about your work is two things, two main things. I like a lot of other stuff too. Two main things. One, that it's exploratory. Mm-hmm. Like you're exploring new things. You're curious and you're trying to answer these questions for yourself. And in the process, you know, uh, creating really cool art. Um, the second thing I really like is that it seems to have an element of fun. Like, sure. you know, we talk a lot about fun in game development. You know, obviously it's an important part of game development, let's be honest, right? <laughs> but in this case, I'm feeling a sense of like true, um, like a little bit of joy, you know, like in the work. Sure. Like it doesn't yeah. feel like 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 the kind of work that we see all over everybody's portfolios that are is too commercial you know geared mm-hmm. only towards getting a job or fitting in you know yeah. uh, it's it's different i like that uh would you say that those things are accurate or is it just yeah no no that that's totally right i think yeah i do consider myself to be curious about a lot of things and the best way for me to prove you know, or, or, you know, indulge my curiosity is to basically just start making something. And with a lot of these things, like it isn't like completely done in isolation. Like I often have a, a larger idea for like a game or 
you know, story scenario that I then kind of use as a way to get into whatever the task is that I'm working on. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Curiosity is is a, is a massive motivator for me, almost to a fault, I would say. Like, I, I kind of am always curious to do something new, <laughs> try something different. So I, I've definitely left a lot of things kind of half finished in a lot of ways because I just get a new idea that <laughs> seems like the most important thing to be getting into. And, you know, the thing that I was absolutely hooked on, you know, for the last X number of weeks or months, like suddenly it doesn't quite seem so appealing. Um, so, yeah, I could definitely do a better job of um, maybe finishing stuff out to a higher degree. But, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like the thing that has really pushed me to continue progressing, you know, the last couple of decades has been just this desire to, to learn and just to try different things and to always be curious about like different ways to improve um but i definitely treat this stuff as you know i try and still treat it as a hobby even though it's my job i try and i try and enjoy these like the stuff that i set for myself like i try even though it's you know sometimes it can be a challenge if things don't come out the way i want them to to look um i definitely yeah i just try and enjoy it as much as possible because um you so know tell us what does it take to treat this as a hobby even though it's your full-time job because personally i need to know i need to learn that um well I, i'm kind of in the fortunate position that since i went freelance i've basically worked three days a week for clients and two days a week for myself so i have managed to carve out you know a couple of days a week for the last six or seven years where i can do what I want to do, which has made it a lot easier than, you know, it would be otherwise. Um, yeah, now I've, you know, I've got um, a family and and all the responsibilities that and all the, you know, all, all everything that comes with that. And I, I want to obviously, you know, spend time with my wife and my kids as much as possible. So I didn't, you know, prior to being able to split my time like that, any time that I had to work on my own stuff was really just after hours or, spend time on the weekend, but then I'm taking away time from family stuff. And, and so I've been really fortunate in that I've been able to, you know, carve out a niche where I'm able to, yeah, split my time like that and, and make it work kind of, you know, financially and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what would have happened otherwise. I think I would have just got super frustrated that I never got to actually develop any of my own ideas or explore or whatever. But I also feel like having, been able and been fortunate enough to to spend the time on my own stuff and improve it's really because oftentimes like you can't show stuff because it's under nda for years or it doesn't even ever come out like it's all of the work that i've done for myself that is now getting me jobs right particularly this type of stuff where it's real-time visual development in stylized aesthetics increasingly this is what i'm doing more so than 2d concept art like i'm you know i'm working with an art director you know oftentimes on early stages of games and there will be some concept art there and there'll be like a general visual direction but they haven't yet put anything necessarily into engine or they don't have like a like a diorama or a snow globe and yeah my job increasingly is to take whatever the art direction and the concept art is and like deliver a, a real-time scene and then they can you know move around in it and see if it's actually the aesthetic they want to go with so it's been you know it's been super beneficial for me professionally as well as just like 
for my own sanity, <laughs> my own development yeah. to be able to, you know, just like work on the things that I want to work on on a regular basis. I was going to ask how these projects have been packed to your career. So you're kind of doing a little bit of like proof of concepts uh, slash like visual developments, right? Is that what you would call it? Viz dev? Like in engine yeah. biz dev? Yeah, like, yeah, like kind of real time, like yeah. real time visual target. Mm, okay. Yeah. So I hear that um, that is a very in demand kind of skill set that not a lot of people mm -hmm. have, both in films, animations, and games. Um, and it's it's a hard skill set to get, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're, you're like sitting up there, like chilling, you know? Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely think it, it's, you know, I didn't necessarily set out to be like a super generalist or anything. It was, it was really driven by curiosity about everything and like, and a realization that I wasn't necessarily ever going to be really good at any one thing, but that I could create a skill set by combining, you know, both. 2D and 3D skills and an understanding of like game engines and stuff like that. Like I could within like within that skill set, I could basically cover all angles, you know, whether it's like concept art or it's in-game stuff or it's like this real-time viz dev stuff. Um so really, yeah, it was like an acceptance of like I'm never gonna be like the best like character designer in the world or the best like concept painter, like environment painter, but with my kind of box of tricks or whatever bag of tricks i can sort of you know sort of uh compensate for um you know wherever my shortcomings are and uh, yeah and having a niche like yeah i guess so. yeah strong niche. yeah yeah I, and like i said i didn't you know it was really guided by my own interests and my own curiosity i didn't think like oh this is maybe a good part of the industry to move into <laughs> but it definitely feels like yeah, there, there is more and more of this kind yeah, of work out there, particularly like early stages before like there's a full development mm -hmm. team, mm -hmm. you know, if it's yeah. like, if it's just R&D. Yeah. Personally, I think that that's part of the fun of it is like you treated it like a hobby and now you get to do your hobby. It's nice, you know. Now I want to talk to you about like all of your projects. I, I'm so curious about, honestly, each one, like we could talk about about this for five hours. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think, uh, in 2023, anybody has the attention span for that. <laughs> right. um, true. So, true. <laughs> so I, I wanted to know a couple of things about these projects. First thing is how, just kidding. <laughs> First thing is um, <laughs> what are your inspirations when you start a new one? What's your process mm -hmm. like? How long does it take to make one, like one full project that you have on your artgram portfolio? Mm -hmm. I try with, with the ideas that are supposed to be playable games to some degree or at least you know sort of uh proof of concept in terms of gameplay like this one for instance like this spyoramas thing um you know the idea for that started with game mechanics first and foremost it was just this kind of idea of like i mean it was inspired actually a little bit by going on uh sketchfab a few years ago and seeing like lots of cool little diorama scenes that people, you know, people make like 3d dioramas, which they upload to Sketchfab, and then you can like rotate around them and you can zoom in and out on all the little details. And like, I love people those. seem to get a real, yeah, people seem to get a real kick out of that. And I was just kind of like, 
what if I extrapolated from that and made it into more of like a, um, you know, a full scene with lots of stuff going on and you're basically just solving lots of little puzzles, like interacting with various props and, you know, completing different objectives like what if what if it was almost like where's waldo or or like busy town or something like that whereas like big image with like tons of stuff going on and you have to like solve lots of little puzzles within that so that was kind of the starting point for this yeah i just sort of i mean like this isn't the best example in terms of how i structure the development because i definitely started from a an aesthetic point of view more than just like, I didn't start with a gray block out. I basically just started building the scene out because I just wanted to play around with the style, but I, I'd, I'd had the kind of game concept idea first. Um, so, but in general terms, like I'll start with an idea, whether it's, um, you know, a gameplay exploration, a prototype, or if it's more of a visual idea, you know, something I want to try out stylistically. Uh, and then I really, I follow the same process pretty much every time, which is that I have um, like a group of subfolders. Like I have a whole drive of like, it's it's a ridiculous amount of like ideas that I developed to some degree or another, probably getting on towards a hundred or something. But, um, but I always start with the same process, which is I have this subfolder or this group of folders, which just breaks everything down. It's very simple. Just break things down into like, you know, documents, reference, uh, as I start to work on it more, concepts or, you know, actual um, a game project builds footage. Like I have this all set up and anytime I start a new idea, I just like copy paste that series of folders and I start to, you know, build the idea. Um, but in terms of documenting or growing an idea, yeah, I, I just tend to use either, you know, just a text file or more and more I'm using kind of flow charts, you know, like a mirror board or there's another simple version called bubble, which I use quite often and just start like building kind of flow charts of like, you know, the idea starts here and then like it would transition to this and then this and this. So yeah, I think I'm addicted to that early, early stage, like blue sky thing where it's like anything is possible. And I really enjoy just coming up with a new, a new mechanic a new world to suit that mechanic or set of mechanics and then and this you know a, a visual style that complements that and then kind of <laughs> going through that process over and over again so um yeah i hope does that answer the question yeah, of course yeah. um have you ever thought about or tried to get one of your ideas made in something bigger like yeah small? i mean i've definitely it's funny like the first project that i put a lot of time into was a, a game prototype called brave odyssey i think it's here on artgram it's like we this little oh, yeah, ship sailing around the seas and like the idea was i mean the idea was like way too ambitious for, <laughs> for, for like a first attempt it's yeah it's that um one with the yeah the green yeah so this was kind of the first thing that i i mean I, i'd done like visual development projects but this was the first game project that i worked on uh you know when i was sort of trying to teach myself um how to use various things within unity and i did get like quite a lot of interest like including from you know a number of you know publishers and things like that and um you know there was there was definitely the opportunity to get funding i don't know i just i i guess it's like it's such a commitment to to go into it and do it full time you know and um i think maybe at a different stage of my career like 
with fewer responsibilities and things like that, it would have been e an easier decision to make. But um, I feel like once somebody else's money is like on the table, it's kind of like you've got to you've got to go all in basically, and you have to deliver. And I yeah, I still just I don't know that I could stick with the same idea for years at a time. If I'm <laughs> honest with myself, you know, I kind of like I said before, the thing that really motivates me is learning first and foremost like satisfying my own curiosity and um i've never quite gotten to the point where i've been so in love with a single idea that i'm like this is the one sort of thing it's definitely yeah i've had conversations in the past with with people about getting funding but um yeah yet to make that 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 final leap to do it it's not that i won't do it like i think i i have to at some point i think i'll be very frustrated with myself if i don't it's a different kind out. of learning, right? Absolutely. In that case, I mean, that's the, learning that's, how to, you know, do director things. <laughs> there, there's, there's so much of making a game that's not even making the game. You know, mm -hmm. like the actual development is probably half of it, right? There's so much. Once you get into like biz dev, PR, dealing with different platforms and, you know, um, community management, uh, it's like it's another it's another world. It's a, it's like a whole other bunch of full-time jobs to do that. Um, so I guess that's it. I, I guess I'm just a little wary of doing it unless I'm like hundred percent, this is absolutely what I want to do. Um, but I, yeah, I live in hope that I find that project <laughs> that makes me want to, <laughs> makes me want to take the plunge. Um, the project that makes you want to settle down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I do kind of feel like that sometimes. Like, like I'm just, yeah, just like, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Creatively compulsive or something like that. I, don't know. <laughs> I think, I think you, it's fine. Like you might say this stuff is unfinished, but to everybody, I at least to me and the students I showed all this work to today, it looks totally done. In fact, they were like, how does he do so much? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a lot of like smoke and mirrors going on there. You know what I mean? Like you're seeing it. I'm, I'm presenting things from the best possible angle a lot of times. Like, I mean, I had I did finish two small games that I released for free on itch. So I haven't, you know, releasing something commercially is completely different experience and you know it has so much like this like is a little tiny game that i made in uh like a couple of weeks or something like that um and you know i did you know at least put a front end on it and there is a progression of sorts and you can play it through uh from start to finish um but yeah it this is the exception rather than the rule like oftentimes like i I developed something to the point where I've satisfied my own kind of curiosity about whether I could get it to work. And then once I have, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, I'll move on to the next <laughs> thing. Like, what's the next thing that I don't understand fully? Um, and then, yeah. That's fantastic, though. That's like one of the oh. best ways to do this stuff. And then you're so versatile and adaptable and you can do just about anything uh, and get paid for doing it. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that that sphere that just crushed all those little guys for things. <laughs> um, so you've satisfied my curiosity on a lot of how your process is and um, kind of like your routines and skills, which is really I was so curious about that stuff. Um, are you ready for the rapid fire parts of the podcast? 
where oh, gosh. it's not that rapid and it doesn't have that okay. much fire, but <laughs> okay. then yes, um, I'm ready. <laughs> uh, so basically I have a bunch of little questions for you for you just to answer in a more snappy way. So let's get into it. Um, what made you choose stylization over realism? We kind of already talked about that, but uh, well, I'm faster at this stuff than I am at realism, so I would say speed. Speed. Perfect answer to begin the fire round. <laughs> <laughs> what was the best advice you ever got in your career? Oh, wow. It's a cruel question. I you know, know what? I think I think it's an obvious one, but it was, you know, do work that you're passionate about because people will always be able to tell and they will, you know, they will resonate with that stuff. They will gravitate towards that if they can tell that you are enjoying what you were doing. That's so real. And it comes through <laughs> in your work. That's for sure. Oh, cheers. <laughs> Worst advice you ever got? Worst advice. I don't know that it's the particular, like I can't put it to like really specific, but I would say be aware of, you know, teachers or people you look up to having a very specific way of doing it that works for them. And thinking that if you can't do it the way that they do it, that you can't be successful as an artist. Like I definitely tried to emulate, you know, certain artists early on in my career. And it, I just I just didn't fit like with the style, you know, I just couldn't do it. And I thought, well, that obviously makes me an inferior artist. Whereas really, you know, you gotta, you're better off trying to find your own, your own niche, right? So yeah, just, um, yeah. Don't put too much weight on a single person's uh, advice or teachings or their style, you know. Especially if they're inflexible with it, right? Yeah, it's my exactly, way or the highway, yeah. or yeah. there's only one way to do this thing. Yeah, yeah. Particularly if it's like a very specific way that they work that maybe practically nobody idea nobody else does, you know. It's like, but they're so good and they do it in this like really weird way. I've got to try and do the same thing. It's like no to find find the way that works for you you know yeah I had teachers like that in college myself and one of them was like she made me reprint my business cards that I made for the first time I was ever going to go to GDC because it was unprofessional to have like a little image of my work on there and she just wanted the logo to be like my initials and that's the oh, only really? way to be professional and get a job yeah what that's uh -huh. isn't that <laughs> that stuck yeah. with me like I remember being confused at the time, but like that stuck with me. Like, why, why are you so inflexible? You know, like, are yeah. you not the owner of the truth? Yeah. I, yeah. I reprinted better business cards after again. So nowadays, even my current business cards have a picture of the same model. FYI, it's been many years <laughs> and I still have the same model on there. That's great. <laughs> what are some mistakes you see people with less experience than you make in the industry and how would they avoid them? I, I think that knowing what your strongest pieces are within your portfolio and knowing the best way to present them is something that it takes a long time to get good at. Like even if you've got good assets, say if you're a you know a, a character artist or an environment artist, like learning how to present them well and like knowing which are the strongest things in your portfolio and maybe like cutting out stuff that's you know not going to come across favorably is um it's a it's a hard thing to like particularly when you've only got a small body of work it can be hard to know what's good and what's bad and like 
presentation is huge, right? Like you can, you know, have a beautiful environment scene, but if you choose the wrong camera angle or if your lighting is uninspired or, you know, you're not lighting the right things within the scene, then, you know, you're not going to get the full bang for the buck. So I think um, learning how to maximize what you have in your portfolio so you can present the best version of your abilities is is super important and is something that i see you know not a lot of people necessarily doing well uh, particularly early in their career i'm sure i was exactly the same i'm sure that like my first portfolio if i could go back and look at it now would just be <laughs> so awful but, oh. um oh advice for uh, younger artists than us save your old portfolios that you can oh, go back and yeah. look at it <laughs> oh, i wish i mean I, I i kind of think the earliest that my stuff goes back maybe is actually i had a hard drive die uh, a few months ago that had everything that i'd uh, done from 2005 to about 2015 or something like that so yeah i kind of made the mistake of not backing it up online but not that i'm excited to go back and look at it but it is slightly sad oh i love going it. back and looking at it because it makes me feel like i've accomplished something in that yeah, time period yeah. Like, yeah i oh. still have like i still have like physical sketchbooks because when i was sort of trying to improve as a 2d artist i did most of it traditionally um so i still have like all these terrible terrible pages of like mindless doodles and anatomy and stuff but yeah That's yeah definitely keep keep it all definitely mm-hmm. keep it Have you ever felt stuck? And if so, how did you overcome it? Yeah, I have. I've definitely, and it's it's happened numerous times, um, less so recently. But I think the advice I always try and give is to, one, don't give yourself a hard time if you just don't feel like you can be creative, particularly if, you know, if, you, if your time is limited. It can be a real chore to actually say come home and you know keep working on your own stuff in the evening or whatever definitely don't put too much pressure on yourself but also try and do something even if it's five minutes a day even if it's just gathering some reference or uh, taking a few notes or drawing for 10 minutes to see if you feel like continuing like I think that it's so easy to lose momentum like particularly with personal projects when you have a job already or you have a college education or whatever it is else is going on in your life, other employment. But I think that if you can keep a dialogue going with yourself, like a kind of creative flow and you're constantly working towards something. And I've always like, well, since sort of 2010 onwards, I've, I found that developing these projects rather than trying to do individual pieces of work has been the best way to like improve as an artist and also to maintain momentum in, in improving. I definitely have days when I don't feel like doing much of anything, but I try to at least, yeah, just gather some reference or put together a mood board or write down some notes for what I will do when I feel like actually doing something, just so that I don't completely stop. Because I think if you completely stop, then it can be hard work from my perspective at least it can be hard to then get back up to speed again but if i've got things ticking along in the background even if it's just the you know most simple easy stuff then uh hopefully that means that when i do feel more inclined i've i've kind of been building up a bunch of stuff that i want to work on and uh yeah just kind of then get back into it just jump right in it's so important yeah. not to miss that window 
right? Like if you like mm-hmm. procrastinate for some reason, even when you feel like it, miss the window, you can go right back into the like uninspired version of yourself so fast. Yeah, um, I think that's it. And you can, you can, you can lose the whatever it was that made you want to work on something you can certainly it can certainly feel way less important than it did previously i just think like having that i don't know if a dialogue with yourself is the right <laughs> way to phrase it but like i'll you know write notes for myself on on a whiteboard or sticky notes on a computer screen or i send myself an email at four in the morning or something like say don't forget you can work on this thing tomorrow <laughs> or whatever so it's like yeah try try not to lose it ideas can be like super fragile and it's really easy to like crush them or forget what it was that was so vital about it that you wanted to work on it in the first place just keep momentum so true however, however possible mm-hmm. Sometimes I fatigue myself just like planning out the idea. And when it comes time to execute, I'm already tired and I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. (laughs) You can sort of, and I I definitely fall into this category. Well, I mean, kind of look at, look at everything that I abandoned, but you can kind of um, fool yourself into thinking that you've finished the thing when you haven't actually done the thing, just because you sort of planned it out to the nth degree. And you kind of almost got that like, in endorphin rush from having uh-huh. i don't know planned it i don't know yeah. like i I, de- I do that all the time like i like flow charts and stuff like that like i'll I'll plan out like an entire like game design in like some massive uh-huh. you know grand vision of a flow chart and then i'm like yeah i'm done <laughs> my <laughs> work done here's it. done you know that yeah. meme and then you leave <laughs> yeah yeah that's hilarious i do that too all the time sometimes i use the planning or at least I used to much more. Now all, every project I do has a deadline on it. It doesn't matter oh, how I feel, right? Yeah. But before I used to use the planning as a way to procrastinate as well. Yeah. Yeah. Put that's off the actual work. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's it. You can like, you can sort of gather too much reference or you can make one too many mood boards or whatever. So I, I would definitely, yeah, try and do actual work as, as you know well the actual like artwork along with you know any of the kind of preparation tasks yeah it's all part of it it's all, it's all part of the struggle you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> what software do you use and for what oh um i use photoshop a very old version of photoshop <laughs> a very old version of maya um <laughs> so i'm not at the cutting edge in a lot of ways um, and I use Unity and Unreal and ZBrush when 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 I'm given the opportunity to I still really like to sculpt if a job allows me to do that but yeah I I'm a bit of a luddite in, so, in some <laughs> senses I think that's part of like why I gravitate towards like these simple art styles is that I know that I can use like pretty simple workflows a lot of the time for a lot of this you know stuff. why yeah. to me that's not okay don't sell yourself short to me, the real lesson here is that you can make amazing art with anything. So many people obsess, you know, uh, mm-hmm. oh, I need to have the exact right version of Maya, like blenders out of the question because it's not industry standard, you know, things yeah. like that. You know, uh, some of some people are still stuck on like ZBrush 2018 or 2019. I don't remember which one it was that a lot of people got stuck on. Things like that. Like, you know, you can still make glorious art. Like, don't let anything stop you like that. You can get the tools if you want them later, especially if you can't afford them. Yeah. Like, that's a very common thing. 
Absolutely. You know? Yeah, I think that's it. I, it really just depends on what it is you want to make. And some tools are going to be more conducive to making certain types of things than others. And there are definitely ways that I could be more efficient. Like I know a lot of lot of people, you know, who I work with or worked with in the past have all transitioned over to Blender now. And like there are a lot of benefits to doing that. I can totally see why people have done that. But I'm also like, man, there's so much stuff I want to learn already. Is do I really want to have to try and fight with another 3D <laughs> applications UI? You know, I kind of feel like I have so much muscle memory built up at this point with certain applications that it's like the thought of trying to relearn it is, um, you know, yeah. unless unless I'm forced to do so, I'm yeah. going to kind of stick in my little <laughs> my little niche for now. You're in a position where you can easily get away with it, you know. Um, so absolutely, keep doing it. Whatever I know works. I do. Yeah. yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> it looks good. It gets the job done. I think I agree. I, I personally agree with that. So you have an online presence. You got a lot of followers on Twitter and other platforms. Would you say that that has impacted your life and or career in any way? Yeah, I mean, I definitely I think it's two things. One, it's nice to put work online and get a positive response to it like it def i'd be lying if i said that it doesn't motivate me you know i feel like i can i'm fairly happy just noodling away on stuff in isolation to a degree but i also kind of always have that sense of like well i like this but i haven't showed it to anyone else yet i really don't know like am i am i crazy is this actually something that people respond to so I kind of I do like that affirmation of like I put something out and people are like yeah this is cool and I'm like thank god <laughs> so, that's one part and then the other thing is like professionally as well like I've definitely gotten opportunities through Twitter and various art platforms so yeah it's, it's definitely been positively impactful in the main um, yeah, I'm not totally sure what I'm going to do if, if and when Twitter completely implodes. <laughs> I'm sort of trying to work out like where do I go next, basically. I but, almost um, feel like I, I feel like the danger of that is almost over. You know, it somehow managed to stay this long. I have weird hopes that it's staying, even though I don't agree with where it's going. <laughs> no, that's it. You kind of yeah, you just that's it. If you can kind of just cocoon yourself off in your in your own little bubble of like. The things that I, you know, see generally is just yeah. like cool art, cool game dev, photos of abandoned places in Japan. <laughs> that's about <laughs> it. So, yeah. That's about it. Yeah, lately, my entire feed has been like, um, like psychological, like help. <laughs> and I'm like, right. wow, Twitter, what do you think about me? Okay. okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Same thing with Instagram that they're making you pay for exposure now. Like oh, wow. Yeah. $16 I never, I never got into Instagram. Yeah, they would like you there. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. And TikTok as well, I've never done. Um, I think that if I did make a concerted effort to actually finish a game and put it out commercially, then I would have to have a presence on some of these other places. But um, for now, like Twitter and, you know, up until recently, ArtStation was obviously it was a big part of where my audience was, um, but I'm not really on there at the moment. So, um, yeah. yeah, kind of lost... 35,000 followers overnight or whatever. <laughs> I hey saw, <laughs> I was going on your art station and I saw that you left. Um, and I actually saw the comments and somebody was like literally mourning that you had <laughs> left art station. They were like, wow, this is a really sad day for me. 
I, it was, yeah. you know, that's one of the impacts you have as being visible is people will actually like look up to you and use you as an, a driving force in their journey. You know, so mm-hmm. this guy was like, I'm so sad that you're leaving Art Station because I used to use your portfolio as like the thing that got me into games or something like wow. that. Yeah. And I yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that yeah. that's its own gratification in its own way. I think that's the last of our rapid fires for today. Okay. Um, thank you, Nick, for talking to me for so long today. Um, your work, again, so nice. I love it. It makes me want to do like art that comes from the heart you know um, awesome yeah I and appreciate that. <laughs> i feel like i haven't done that in so long you know like i said like everything i do has a deadline on it everything is mm-hmm. just i need to like find what made me want to do this in the first place again that kind of thing yeah i mean that's, that's really gratifying to hear and i ho- hope you manage to find time in your schedule to to do that and to, uh, yeah find a project <laughs> that that speaks to you yeah, I'm actually working on one right now. My first oh. stylized environment. It's mm. for a lecture, so it does have a deadline on it. <laughs> but it is here. I'll show you. I'll show you real quick. Like it's like an unofficial part of the podcast. Yeah, yeah it's cool. I I really like your color choices. Don't mind my neon yellow guys in the middle there. <laughs> <Speaking> <laughs> Thanks again to our sponsor of today, Ringling College of art and design thank you so much nick for being here today and spending a little time with me and sharing some of your expertise and your stories is there anything you want to promote oh not really you can you can find me on twitter i guess if you want to uh at nick d carver no no underscores or anything just at nick d carver um and i'm on art artgram as well so you can probably find me on <laughs> i kind of remember what my earl is but yeah You'll find me, yeah, Artgram, Nick Carver. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just artgram.co slash Nick Carver. It is, like yes. Artgram.co slash Nick Carver. Yeah. And I'll probably have a Cara account at some point, but like it's hard to maintain multiple presences. So I don't yeah. even, I, I found out about Artgram today looking at your stuff. Oh, really? <laughs> and now I need to get an account before somebody yeah. else takes, takes my username. <laughs> All right, yeah. I, I don't know. I think maybe I picked the wrong horse. I think like more people have gone to Kara since since our station. Oh my god. Yeah. Nobody has yeah. time for this. <laughs> I know. That's it. Like I ended up spending probably an afternoon, you know, when I actually went on my art station account, it was like, okay, so I've got like, you know, a hundred things with probably between five and ten images on each. It was a big big ordeal to go through and make a new a new presence so yeah i don't really want to do it again for a while yeah. that sounds Anywho. horrible <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, and you guys can find me on every social media anna carolina underscore arts hope you all have a wonderful day and make sure to share this podcast with your friends if you want us to be able to keep making amazing episodes and bringing you amazing guests like follow share subscribe you know the drill Cheers, yeah, it was great to meet you. Cheers.